Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey everybody, I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSE Squared Podcast. Hey everyone, Mark and Steve on the PBSC podcast. This is episode 194. And the title says, how can a porn slash sex addict in recovery most effectively project his authenticity and higher self? Now you might wonder where that title comes from. We actually had one of the longest submitted questions we've ever had in PBSC history. I'm actually being very sarcastic right now. Back to the shortest submission we ever had. And I, I don't know, Steve, I don't know if there was much, as much packed into one little tiny short thing as was packed into this. It's true. It was like, it's, whoa. We, okay. we do have to admittedly, we will be reading into this quick statement a lot in this podcast, but there is a lot to it. So we're excited. So here's, here's, what, uh, here's what a guy sent to us. Uh, he said, how can I reconcile my infidelity and my care for women's rights? My wife says that I'm lying to myself, but I feel like I do care about the Me Too movement. Like WTF <laughs> with three question marks. <laughs> oh, and we I think we're just, <laughs> yeah, we're like, oh man, there is. There is a lot packed in that little brief submission to us. There is. And I, I just got to say, I, it is short and it is kind of slingish, but it was just, it was honestly kind of refreshing because I just liked how he just kind of put his frustration in the whole thing. You know, he just kind of. Like, he did. Oh, he did. And, <laughs> and Steve and I, Steve and I talked about this at length. We thought, okay, is this going to be a, a big PBSE podcast about all of the contradictions between somebody who frequents pornography and is unfaithful and, and, and betrays and does all this stuff and how that, how that contradicts, you know, being somebody who champions and stands up for women's rights. Are we going to make it all about that? 
And while we feel extremely passionate about what I just said, and so this could easily have been a podcast on that topic, we thought, you know, instead, why don't we make the focus of this? Because let's make an assumption. We don't know this for sure, but let's make an assumption that this guy that sent this into us is really sincere. Let's say that he genuinely does feel strongly about women's rights and protecting women, even though he's had, you know, really betraying behaviors and quite frankly acted in ways that would be the opposite of that. So in some ways he's a walking contradiction and you're listening to two guys on this PBS podcast today where we have absolutely been walking contradictions where we have been, we have engaged in the past in our heavy addiction years and behaviors that were not championing women's rights or being respectful or faithful or any of those things. And yet at the same time, there was a higher, a higher self within us, an authentic self where we did feel strongly about those issues. And so we, as so many addicts do, we suffered with great duplicity, right? With, with, we were, we were a paradox, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't a part of us that didn't feel very strongly about that. But what we also saw in this was, so if he's, if he's genuine and sincere about the fact that he does feel strongly about women's rights and, and, and all the things that come with that, is he, how is he coming about communicating and projecting that with his partner? That, so that's why we made the title of this, How Can a Porn Sex Addict in Recovery? Notice I said in recovery most effectively project his authenticity and higher self. Maybe the way he's doing it, maybe things going on on in his life are not those that his partner says, oh, he's really proving to me with a lot of evidence he does feel strongly about respect and my rights and standing up for women and all of that. But maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe he's just not communicating and living his life and maybe he just doesn't know how to, to go about really projecting that authenticity and higher self. So we wanted yeah. to make it about that. No, I love that. I love what you're talking about, Mark, because it's, it, it's true. You know, there's, there, there is a whole lot behind this question, and we are, again, are going to be kind of inferring a little bit, but we can really empathize with a lot of what we hear this guy expressing kind of behind the question, right? Obviously, he he's bringing up this idea of like, look, I I care about, women and I care about rights, but I obviously do have this history of infidelity. My wife says that I'm in denial, right? That I'm lying to myself, but I feel like I do care. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what do I do about that? Right. And so we wanted to take a look both. We wanted to really help this guy out as well as many of the addicts that are listening who can relate to this on some level and kind of point out both uh, go through and kind of concisely outline some of the obstacles, right. That get in the way of the, of the communication breakdown between what we're trying to portray as addicts in recovery to our spouses, to a spouse who's been traumatized and is doing their own work versus what they actually hear and the things that get in the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And we want to start that off by saying, remember that you, as always, you can't own what your partner does right. Or with information or what, or, or, or how they approach their recovery. And so just kind of, we want to capstone this, this thing before we even jump into it by, by saying, what we're talking about today is the things that we as addicts can do on our end to try to create, I guess you could say, the most fertile ground for trust to grow, for 
communication to increase as a result of that, for safety to increase, and for in in the process of that, what you are sharing as a as an addict in the recovery process with your partner, you are going to be able to. Basically, we we want to help you to be able to convey those things in a way that could actually be received, and and where they'll carry weight and move you guys back towards that you know equal equally yoked egalitarian position the way a partnership ought to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah so, so kind if of, we if yeah. we start to look at the obstacles, like why would this barrier, this wall, this rift exist in a partnership in what this guy's described? What you know, why would a why would a partner have a hard time believing him when he says he champions, you know, women on the one hand, but on the other, he's had a lot of very destructive and and selfish behaviors that would communicate the opposite. But let's say that he's in recovery now. Let's say that he's really trying to change his ways. He's trying to have his behaviors match more closely with his true, you know, deeper values. What would get in the way of that message getting across to his partner? Well, the, the first one that we had listed here was lack of trust, mm. right? What, in addiction, in betrayal, in all of the issues with regard to pornography and sexual addiction, when we're in a relationship with a partner, Trust is battered and shattered. I mean, there are, if we consider trust kind of a, let's say the trust account in the relationship, our addiction behaviors make massive withdrawals for years and decades until that trust account is, if it's not, if it's not completely over, overdrawn, it's, it's very close to zero. Mm, and that yeah. is automatically going to create a big wall of, of connecting on this kind of communication. Absolutely. Well, and, and I want to kind of throw in a quick mentality. We didn't actually put put this in the production notes, but uh, just something that's coming to mind right now is if we were to infer, you know, again, this into the situation a little bit, what is this wife saying? It sounds like she's saying, hey, you clearly don't care about women's rights. Now, again, are there other pieces to this that we may not be aware of? Probably. But more or less, I could see where a spouse is coming from, given the infidelity, right, and the other issues, right, that might be present. Because I could easily see a spouse saying, well, you don't respect me, right? You're not, you haven't been respectful of our marriage vows, right? You haven't been respectful of my safety and my needs. So why would I think that you're going to be respectful of women's rights, right? Mm-hmm. Or even understand where they're coming from. You're not, even, you're not even honoring the woman that you love, right? The woman you're committed to. So if I take that as any sort of a, you know, an extension into the real world, what I'm learning through my betrayal is that, you know, what the evidence is showing me is at the end of the day, you're not going to be there and really understand where I'm coming from or empathize or connect with it or, 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 or stand up for me. So, right. That's probably part of what is going on here. So hopefully that kind of fills in the void a little bit as we talk about these obstacles of probably what's happening here. Yeah. 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 So lack of trust is one. Then we get to this place of lack of empathy. Yeah. And I will tell you during my addiction years, one of the things that I, one, didn't know how to do hardly at all, and number two, did not want to do, was to, was to lean in to my, to my wife, to my partner, when she was being raw and real and expressing her hurt and then the betrayal and all, and all of the things that went along with it. I didn't want to move toward her. I wanted to move away from her. Mm. I didn't want to sit in her pain. I wanted to get as far away from it as I possibly could. So that lack of empathy, as she saw that, she did not feel like I was standing up for her or other women. 
Yeah, no, absolutely, right? And and again, it's this evidence-based experience that betrayed partners have with us, sadly, as we go through this process, right, where they come to identify more and more from this place of self-protection, distancing themselves, right, not being able to be fully involved and engaged in the marriage because of these different issues that are coming up. Um, and, and the next one really ties in, and I, I, I'm sure can be related to everybody, including Mark and I, which is being caught in this victim mode or victim mentality. Mm. Um, I've shared on here before how I've worked with spouses. I think of one every time I talk about this, where during a session, her husband stepped out to go use the restroom, and we were in the middle of a really frustrating conversation. <laughs> and she, uh, he was very much in a victim place where he wasn't taking ownership. There wasn't much accountability. And he was kind of dragging his feet with everything we were talking about in the session. And he left and she took her, I remember her sitting there. She took her glasses off. She rubbed her temples, you know, the nose temple rub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said, Steve, I'm not trying to be mean, but I, you know, we have three kids, but I swear, like, I, I swear, I feel like I have four. And that was this, the comment she made, right? Because she, for her, very much the relationship was feeling like, a, and she loved her husband a lot, but he was just kind of dragging his feet, right? He wasn't taking ownership of anything. She wasn't. She wasn't feeling like he was being a partner. She felt like he was literally kind of being one of the kids in the house that was having to be asked to do everything, right? Yeah. He wasn't leading out with any sort of proactivity. He'd only take ownership of acting out behaviors when she would call it out, right? He'd only own his other, you know, he'd only own gaslighting or manipulative tactics after lots of resistance and after she like pestered him, right? There was this constant need to follow through much like a mom really does with their children, Right. And so what she was saying wasn't trying to be denigrating. It really felt that way. And a lot of that stemmed from this place of he was very much in this victim mentality of I can't change. We'll never make it in this marriage. It's doomed. Right. Lack, you know, he wasn't cultivating any of that. And she found herself kind of taking responsibility and owning far more than she should or could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And that leads into this next one that we, we, we've spent a lot of time in our Dare to Connect program over the last number of months. Lack of accountability. And, and when we say the word accountability, um, put a hyphen in that. Lack of, a, of account hyphen ability. My yeah. ability as a guy in recovery to account for my past or my future commitments. And the present. And the present, right? To just be account able. Hey, here's where I'm at. Here's what I've done. Here's where it has violated boundaries and our and our commitment to each other. Here's where I've gone off course. Here's here's where I've been on course. Just being account able in a very in a very inclusive, you know, holistic sense coming at the relationship. Yes. Well, and another piece to add to that really quick is is transparency about, you know, what are we thinking, what are we feeling, what our motivations are, right, all those things. One of the things that Mark and I hear often, and we do address this in Dare to Connect quite a bit, is, and, and we don't think about this as always through the lens of accountability, but we hear from spouses all the time, I just don't know what the hell is going on in that guy's mind, mm. right? Sometimes it's not even having to do with absconding responsibility for stuff, which is definitely a part of it, but it just has to do with, that guy is just a question mark. Mm. I feel like unless I ask how he's doing or what's going on, he just walks around here with kind of a stoic poker face. Like, I don't know, like, what are his hopes, his dreams, his, you know, I, I want to know about his sobriety. I want to know what he's doing for recovery, and that's all important. But I also want to know, like, 
what's he just feeling today? What is he thinking? You know, and, and those pieces, you know, are oftentimes lacking too. Yes. Yes. Yep. So, um, the next one obviously would be, and this kind of ties in with all these others, right. But an unwillingness to collaborate. Mm. And there's a lot tied in with collaboration, ranging from negotiation to a uh, healthy compromise. Again, a topic we cover heavily in D to C, uh, don't have time to, to do that here, but, but essentially the teamwork element of the relationship, right. And that oftentimes, you know what, I'll just mention another bullet point because it ties in with the other one, uh, with these next two, uh, that usually oftentimes where we see that lack of account or unwillingness to collaborate stems from a couple of things. Uh, one is definitely a lack of shame resilience, guys who are heavily involved in shame and are already convinced that the sky is falling, right? That the marriage is doomed, that things are hopeless. These are all things, by the way, that Steve, right? She thinks I'm a jerk. I'm a loser. I'll right? never be able to change. She'll never, she can't believe I can change. I don't believe I can change. Mm-hmm. Right. All of those elements, right. Those, those feed into that. But then also these other, all of the, they, this shows up as what we call Mark actually is the one who kind of came up with this term or, or changed it a little bit from what I typically use before I met him. But what we, what we term ego defense mechanisms, right? So things like pride, stubbornness, machismo, um, which is a cultural norm in, in certain countries, right? Ego, these things all get in the way, right, of this unwillingness to collaborate. Yeah, we, we hear it as, you know, guys will be guys, boys will be boys. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Actually, in our, uh, on Sundays in Dare to Connect, we have, we have live support groups, one for addicts in recovery and another support group for women in betrayal trauma healing. And last night, we had a new guy come into the Dare to Connect support group and he expressed why he was there last night. He mm. said, frankly, I'm here with all of you guys because I can't find support to overcome this sexual addiction anywhere else. My peers mm. and my friends all tell me I'm crazy. Why would I even bother trying to do anything with this? It's totally normal. It's what guys do. And that my spouse just needs to, to get her act together. Oh my and he gosh. said, I had to come here because I couldn't, nobody else even thinks it's an issue. That's just so disheartening. So disheartening, but so true, right? So true. And so, and, and you can see where a lot of these cultural issues, these cultural paradigms, these incorrect paradigms, they come from. That actually segues really well into kind of one of the other big obstacles. You know, we talked about this a while ago here on, on, on the podcast, um, but just a real quick reiteration of it. I have oftentimes had discussions with other colleagues of mine and with clients, and I think I'm at a point in my career where I would make a case to most guys that in some ways out of all of the forms of acting out that sexual addiction takes, I think that pornography might be one of the most damaging, at least to the individual, mm. which I know sounds kind of crazy to some people, but let me tell you why. There are a lot of behaviors, obviously, that, that sexual addiction can encompass, sexual compulsivity can encompass. But one of the most damning things about pornography is all of the subtle messaging and brain rewiring that occurs yes, when yes. one is viewing and witnessing pornography, mm-hmm. because it's not just the pornography itself. It's values around men and women. It's not just the objectification, but it's how it's, it's distorting what, what love even looks like, right? Turning things that would be considered otherwise abusive or denigrating or, or demeaning into loving acts or things that, that are supposed to portray affection. Right. And I've worked with many guys, as I know Mark has too, over the years where guys, I, I have literally had guys come into my office and say, I don't know why she doesn't like being slapped around. And they will ask, they will ask that as a genuine question, right? I hope that's not too triggering for some listening, but they have involved themselves in, in certain types and forms of pornography 
where they've engaged with that for so long, their brain is literally, that's where they got their sex education, for lack of a better term. Yes. And they're just referencing from a place of, well, why wouldn't a woman expect to be treated that way? I mean, that's what you do, right? Yeah, I'll have it's guys tragic. come and say, I don't know why she's so turned off by this particular sexual position or this particular thing that I insist on doing in the bedroom. I don't know why it's such a thing for her, right? Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, they'll try to, this is back to the machismo, you know, the culture where she's just a prude or she's not open-minded or, you know, the, and it goes on and on and on with all the things that I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so tragic. So lots of different areas and that, and that can also just come from cultural norms, right? It's not just pornography. There are, there are, we work with many clients who struggle with seeing, you know, male and female roles as being egalitarian, right? Sometimes, sadly, we work with guys who still come from a kind of a, an old, very sexist mentality and upbringing where women are in some ways somehow inferior or subordinate to men. I mean, just very tragic things, right? So these are all very real obstacles that can get in the way. The last one that we would put on here is what we're kind of terming the addict slash survival resistance mentality. Mm, yes. Now, this encompasses a lot, and, and we did cover this pretty thoroughly in D2C the other day. We can't do it here. We don't have the time. But the long and short of what this is referring to is kind of the, the codependence that the brain begins to register around a compulsive behavior on an emotional needs level, right? As addiction deepens in the brain and the brain starts to register you know, the acting out behavior as a medicator, as a numbing outer, as a compensator for different things, it gains increased, increased importance in the brain until for most addicts, it reaches a point where on a subconscious level, the brain, you know, instead of, instead of sexual activity being at the top of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs where it should be, meaning something that's more along the optional spectrum, right? Or something along the, you know, more of a, more of a recreational optional one form among many ways of connecting spectrum, the brain looks to it as a survival mechanism, right? We need this to survive. And so anything that comes up and challenges that, and I remember feeling this very much before I knew how the concept worked as a therapist, anytime anybody even begins to edge towards our secrets or towards suspecting we're doing something wrong or calls us out on our stuff, what comes out? All of the worst sides of us that, 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 much like someone running from a bear in the woods come out to protect, right? What the brain says, if this gets challenged or violated, we're screwed and we can't let that happen. Yep. Right. Yep. What am I, how am I supposed to cope with difficult life or boredom or fear or needing pleasure or any of the rest of it? If, if someone just suggests is suggesting that I might stop going to these outlets entirely, what, what am I going to do? Right? I can't let that go away. That can't no. happen massive yep. resistance comes up. Absolutely. So those are some of the obstacles. Let's, let's jump quickly to the solutions. Yeah, we better. And we laughed <laughs> at it. Like, nope, we're just going <laughs> to, we're just going to bomb drop the problems. And we're going to end the podcast. There you go, guys. Oh, there's all the problems. <laughs> there it is. You're screwed. All right. Anyway, have a great day. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. We're, we're going to talk about the oh, solutions. <clears throat> so one of these is actively seeking and developing trust building experiences. Mm. Trust is not, isn't an all or nothing thing. I know we as addicts tend to be black or white thinkers, all or nothing thinkers. And I thought, you know what? Trust with my partner is completely shot, shot to crap. Mm. I mean, how can I, I, I might as well not even bother, but yeah. we don't, what, what I wasn't realizing and what we don't realize is there are multiple myriad opportunities every day for little trust building 
situations. Mm-hmm. Little, I call them little deposits into the, into the relationship trust account. So many of those chances on a daily basis. And are we actively seeking to notice those, to develop them, to make sure that we're paying attention and that we're intentional? Ah, there's another opportunity to build, to put a, a deposit into the trust account. I noticed that, the, that the, the trash compactor was smelly in my kitchen and I took out the trash without her asking me to. <laughs> yeah. Trust deposit, right? Totally. I mean, it, it, so that's one of the solutions. Look for all of those trust deposits that can be made. And by the way, guys, one thing that we would just throw out there, and I know it sounds super simple and obvious, but it's shocking how many times we don't do this. Just ask, right? Every person's unique. And if you're sincere about this process, solution would be to say, hey, meet it with transparency. I would like to become more trusting to you, right? I know that we have a lot of trust issues. Here are some of the thoughts that I have about how I might go about that. Would that resonate for you or is there a better way to go about this, right? Yeah. So in, in, in collaborate. Anyway, that's just a, just a thought. I love that. Ask, what are some ways that I could start to try to rebuild trust today? Absolutely. Imagine right. that. And then if you're told, please follow through. Oh, thank you for mentioning <laughs> that. Right. That's the, yes. You're That's asking. the whole exercise, right? <laughs> yeah. If you ask and you're, and you're told you're given a request and then you don't follow through, massive withdrawal again from the trust account. Absolutely. Guys, if you're asking for that and you get something from your spouse and it's realistic and achievable and it's not something that's inauthentic or not realistic, that just became the most important thing of your day if you're doing this. I smart. would totally agree. That yeah, just became yeah. the most important task that happens before the sun sets. So... Um, so definitely a good approach. Um, and openness to other paradigms, right? Other ways of thinking, in other words, and other ways of doing things. Mm. Um, this one is a big one. And Mark brought this up before we before we started today, and I appreciated him doing it because you know, we 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 and it kind of ties in with the survival mentality, it kind of ties in with the shame. But we addicts for lots of reasons, and sometimes because of our own trauma, to be fair, we really struggle to allow any sort of input or feedback in. From anyone about anything. And we find ourselves caught in this never ending struggle of, I want to get better from my addiction. And gosh, does this describe Steve to a T, but I don't want to involve anybody in it. <laughs> I, I don't want it to, I don't want it to disturb my existing paradigms, my existing, exactly. the way I cope with life, the way I deal with things, my, my, my pleasure outlets, as long as it doesn't disturb the status quo, then I'm open. Yes. And we have to, and, and if you're going to change, then there has to be an openness to and a recognition for, as my therapist told me one day lovingly, as my wife sat on the couch next to me, Steve, you are a smart guy. I was a therapist at the time, and, and you, you know a lot about addiction. But when it comes to you personally, your very best, smartest thinking got your ass next to your wife here on my couch. <laughs> and that was a great way of putting it. <laughs> we had a high level of trust between us at the time, yeah, and I was appreciated. Your best thinking got you here, Steve. Yep, your best thinking got your butt here. <laughs> so maybe you need to change that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So having that openness is huge. Um, practicing and growing. And Mark mentioned these terms before. Active, inactive, accountability, hyphenated, and active response, hyphen, ability. Right. So active accountability, meaning I'm being transparent and open and following up and taking ownership of myself, right? Standing in the light, so to speak. And the second piece being the, the actual follow through, right? 
Uh, what am I doing in regard to my responsibility? What am I, what am I taking charge of? What am I not just owning, but actively working on and, and, and putting the work in and what actions am I taking? Yep. Right? Yep. And uh, this, this other one is humongous. We, we talk about this in Dare to Connect constantly. Developing vulnerability and mindfulness, mm-hmm. right? Becoming aware of how I think, how I behave, what I'm doing, stepping back to be a watcher and an observer of my own habitual thoughts and behaviors. And then as I start to become more self-noticing and self-analytical, becoming vulnerable and transparent in expressing that, putting it out on the table, not only, not only not waiting for a partner to shine the light on me, shining the light on myself and saying, yes. here I am. I'm, I'm becoming much more aware of how I think and what I do, both from a negative and positive standpoint. And I'm voluntarily bringing this out into the open so that I can be account able and response able so that I can get help so that I can be honest and have integrity. Here I am, right? Such a big part of this. Absolutely. No, that is huge. Uh, I'm just going to mention this one with one word because we talk about it on the program all the time, but sobriety, okay? For so many reasons that we can't talk about right now, sobriety is the gateway to clear thinking mm. and the ability to do everything else on this list, okay? It's one. Yes. It's close to the end, but it's definitely a last but not least scenario, okay? Um, my sobriety is one of the most important things in my life, and the reason why is because I look at it as the the gateway through which everything else in my life that's good flows, Right. If I'm not sober, if I'm not in a sober-minded state, everything, all those obstacles that we just listed off, those shoot through the roof for Steve. Um, if 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 that goes away, and so yeah, if you keep accessing old brain wiring ways mm-hmm. of looking at the world, ways of responding to the world, if you keep accessing that old wiring, if you keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to keep getting what you've been getting. The only way for a brain to rewire is for those old destructive behaviors to to diminish and eventually cease. Otherwise, I cannot change. The brain cannot change if it keeps going to those old outlets. You've got to give it the chance to rewire and to reform and to be molded in healthy ways. And that only comes with increasing levels of sobriety. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Um, then the last one on the list, again, last but not least, consistent follow-through. And we kind of talked about this a little bit and change and working to fix those cultural and those cognitive distortions that we talked about regarding sexuality, connection, et cetera. Yeah, right? yeah. Yep. To, to put it simply, guys, your ability, your ability to be able to partner with your spouse, to be able to have your spouse have, have the most optimal, healthy relationship with you, to have a relationship where she's able to choose you and you her – that relationship has to be one of equality and egalitarianness. And we understand that that may cha- challenge some cultural norms that you may have grown up with. We don't apologize for it, though, because that is what we would deem as a healthy living practice. Um, being able to see your partner as an equal in all things, being able to see them through a lens of of somebody deserving of, of the same amount of respect, of dignity, of value, of worth, of capability as yourself um, is critical in this process. If you're, if you're looking to form a healthy relationship that we talk about here on this podcast, if, if those things aren't something that you can adopt, this podcast probably won't go very far with you at all. 
And as you um, do notice those areas in your relationship where it hasn't been equal, or you've had these old cultural things and machismo and, you know, the, the sexual culture, bringing all sorts of things in, you have to, as you start to notice those things, having a willingness to let go of old ways, I call it putting them on the sacrificial altar mm-hmm. for the good of the relationship. Am I willing to let go of these things and start to introduce and adopt new ways? Or am I going to be stubborn on holding on to them? Right? It has a great deal to do whether this, whether this all goes forward together as a couple or not. Absolutely. Well, we do have an assignment for you, Addict, something to start working on. And uh, we, we can only include one among the many that we would do with all these other topics. Uh, before we do that, though, guys, if you have not taken advantage of, you've heard us mention our Dare to Connect program for addict spouses and couples a couple of times during the podcast just briefly. And we mention it not just for, for plugs. We mention it because this is where we do all this hard work. If you like what you hear on this podcast, you will love the Dare to Connect program. Uh, we're, we, we hear often from people how much this podcast help, helps people, and we're really grateful for that. But we, we know from personal experience that one can only gain so much from a 20 to 30-minute podcast once a week. Come and join a program where you're getting 25 hours of content a month, and you're able to get interactive experiences with us, uh, ask us questions, get answers in real time, a community of support. We would love to have you come join us. Um, you can grab a two-week trial to give that a shot and see what it's all about. And we strongly encourage you to do that at daretoconnectnow.com. We'd love to hear from you there. Um, but as we wrap up with the assignment here, um, the assignment is is pretty simple, guys. Uh, for, for all of you addicts out there, uh, we would ask you guys to sit down and take a, we're borrowing a 12-step concept here, but to take an accurate self-inventory, right? And 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 what that would mean is more or less taking, go back, whip out that piece of paper and a pencil or tablet or phone, or I guess Mark and I are, are ancient, a, a, sh- a shovel and a piece of coal right on the back of that, whatever, whatever you need to do. <laughs> but uh, um, take down this list of both these obstacles and solutions and ask yourself, you know, what would be, step one would be to ask yourself, where am I measuring both in this obstacles list and this solutions list? Like honestly assess yourself. Where are you at with that? And yeah, I think this, and then the second piece, what Mark, what would the second piece of that be? So yeah, just go back and listen to this podcast and and list down each one of the obstacles you hear individually, each one of the solutions, and then look at each one and rate yourself. Where are you at? Oh, yes. you know, this lack of empathy. God, I'm not very good at listening or leaning in. Okay, I'm gonna set some really basic goals on how to start making progress to develop better skills with that particular thing. Do that with each of the items you've heard today. Rate yourself, be very, be brutally honest in your self-assessment and identify some key areas where you would like to start doing some work and, and then chipping away at it each day. Well, the last thing that I would add to that too, we want to make sure we include this, is enlist the help of some trusted other people in your world. A spouse may not be good to go to for this for multiple reasons, depending on where you're at in this process. But if you have a close friend or a family member, I'm always a fan of, I tell clients all the time that a good friend should, a good therapist should operate like a good friend, meaning that they're going to love you enough to tell you the things that they need, that you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Yep. And so if you've got somebody trusting your world that you can bounce some of this off of, we'd strongly encourage you to do so. We all have blind spots. Everybody does. And uh, being able to get some feedback from somebody to be able to help you to lovingly point out, Mark, Mark does this with Steve all the time. We're not just business partners. We, we are good friends. And he's more than once said, you know, 
have you looked at this? <laughs> <laughs> this might be something. <laughs> and I always by, benefit from and his vice wisdom. versa. He, he helps to curb my impetuousness. So <laughs> now he's, he, we all need people like that in our world. So we would invite you to do that as well. Okay. Well, we just set the record for like one of our longest podcasts ever. So we better wrap up. Here. <laughs> yeah, we better sign off. As so. always, guys, if you, uh, if you want to send anything into the podcast, uh, feel free to uh, email us or not email us rather. There's just a contact form at the bottom of the, of our website, pbcpodcast.com. Uh, that's pbscpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you and address uh, your topics here in real time on the program. And as always, come and join us in D2C. If you want to do the in the trenches work with us 25 hours a month, we would love to see you over there at uh, daretoconnectnow.com. And uh, we will see you in our next episode with PBSE. Sounds great. Take care, guys. Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.